0: This is Indian Noir, India's number one horror, crime and dark fantasy storytelling podcast. your pants off, Ashish Nair said with a mischievous smile. So, this is where you want to do it, so you can boast to your friends that you did the deed in the heart of the most haunted place in the country, Bipul Shah said with a chuckle. Well, we better get started before the ghosts get here, Ashish said as he threw his belt to the floor and dropped his pants. Why? Are you afraid you're not going to be able to get your cock up? Bipul said. Ashish laughed in response. His laughter echoed through the timeless walls of the Bhangat fort. The ruins, which were bathed in moonlight, were nestled in the arms of a green valley, like a necropolis, that had shunned the grace of God. Bats screeched as they flitted about in the dark innards of the old fort, and insects chirped incessantly, like an infernal chorus praising the darkness. It was close to midnight when the two young men reached the small palace, which was the final building in the fort complex. The stone structure was set into the green hills that towered behind them with malicious intent. They had not come across a single soul, neither living nor dead, during their nighttime adventure. There are no ghosts here, Budhu, Ashis said. They are stories cooked up by uneducated idiots. Like the villagers who warned us against coming up here? Bipul questioned his lover. Exactly, Ashish said. Vipul partially agreed with Ashish. He did not believe in the supernatural. His private school education would never allow him to commit to the idea that the dead could rise from the graves and haunt old ruined forts. Nevertheless, the eeriness of the place sent chills down his spine every time he heard a creak or a splash or a distant bang. They had been backpacking through Rajasthan for nearly a month and in a few days, this glorious trip of theirs was going to end. Why not finish it off with a glorious night of sensual pleasures? Vipul understood the appeal of adventurous sexual escapades. But most importantly, he was starting to fall in love with Ashish. Every time they made love, it was as if the world was made anew. It had new colours, new joys, new sensations. Vipul had decided to confess his love the next day. Ashish had set down their two torches on the ground before making his move. The beams of light from the torches created strange glowing orbs on the decrepit walls. They were like circular portals to other places, other worlds. Vipul turned around, planting his hands against the walls. He smiled as he relished the feeling of Ashish pulling down his pants. He got goosebumps, thinking about the pleasures that awaited him. Vipul's pants were down to his ankles when Ashish suddenly stopped. He couldn't feel his lover's hands anymore. In fact, he couldn't sense his presence at all. It was as if Ashish had retreated into the oppressive stillness of this ancient place. Ashish, People said, what are you doing there? There was no response. Are you trying to tease me? Or is this another one of your stupid pranks? Vipul pulled up his pants and waited for a few moments. Ashish? he said. Vipul did not have the courage to turn back. While he was certain he would most likely find Ashish pulling a scary face at him when he turned around, he decided to wait longer. Ashish, he called out to his lover urgently. The primal core of his brain sounded alarm bells and fear poured into every atom in his body. The air had gone foul. A sound like the grinding of millstones or perhaps the opening of a crypt. Vipul gulped. He was scared. He didn't want to turn back. Ashish, stop the silliness, he said in a wavering voice. It started as a slight whisper. Then it built up steadily into a chorus of whispers uttering a phrase that was unclear. Vipul sharpened his hearing to decode the chant. It was all around him now, the horrible whispers. Have you something, something? Vipul struggled to make out the words. Ashish, I am going to kill you if this is your idea of a joke, Vipul shouted. The whispers stopped. Whipple whimpered. His skin crawled as he recognized that some great wrongness was unfolding around him. It was pouring out of the walls of this wretched place, leaking down from the ceiling, clawing its way out of the cracked floor which was a carpet of weeds. The whispers started again. This time, it was right behind him, Hundreds of mouths chanted the mysterious query right into his ears, and this time, the words were clear. Have you seen, Have you three seen three the yellow sign? Have you seen yes. the yellow sign? Have you seen 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 the yellow sign? His shocked body was compelled to turn around to face the infernal choir. Vippul's eyes widened in terror at the sight before him. Ashish was with the others. And he joined the others in prying open Vipul's screaming mouth and thrusting their fingers into his throat in a quest to unravel the mysteries of the yellow sign. Tarek Shah, one of India's most prominent translators of English literature classics into Hindi, lay on his couch in unwashed clothes. He was surrounded by empty whiskey bottles. Tarek snored gently and saliva drooled out of the corners of his mouth. All the windows in the apartment were closed, so the stench of alcohol, stale food and despair hung over it like a pall. A manuscript bound in worn leather lay open on the coffee table. It was an obscure play penned in 1895 by an unknown author, which Tarek's half-Indian, half-French literary agent pal Kalki had mailed to him with the hope of engaging his interest in translating the work. Tarek had managed to read the first four pages over the last two days between bouts of heavy drinking. Tarek woke up with a startle and after taking a few moments to come to his senses, he walked unsteadily towards the front door, stepping over plastic cups, bottles and fast food wrappers littered on the floor. When he finally opened the door, he was greeted by the sight of the obnoxious Saketh Roy, the society president, also known as the King of Gossip. He wore a half-sleeve office shirt, grey pants and thongs that seemed a size smaller on his feet. His portbelly caused the buttons in his shirt to strain against its fleshy magnificence. Saket's bulging eyes stared through his thick glasses in judgment at Tadak's plight. "'Here's all your postal items,' Saket said. "'It was spilling out of the mailbox.' Oh, what is that stench? Thanks, Tarik said, grabbing the collection of letters. Tarik was about to close up when Sakith grabbed onto the lip of the door and said, Tarik ji, it has been two months since your son has gone missing. You must accept that he may not return. Tarik let out a sigh and gazed at the dark innards of his apartment. Shadows had pooled everywhere in the residence that was once filled with the light and the joyous laughter of his son Vipul. As a single father, Tarek had done everything to fill his son's life with absolute joy, so he didn't have to grieve over the death of his mother from cancer. His son and his vast collection of books was all Tarek had, and now Vipul was gone. Every other possession, and indeed life itself, seemed meaningless and empty. The Rajasthan State Police had concluded Vipul and his best friend, Ashish, had probably wandered off into one of the national parks where they were last seen trekking, and perhaps lost their way. They concluded that the chances of finding the bodies were minimal. I mean, I don't know if you believe in God... Saket's grating voice interrupted Tarek's thoughts. But that is one way to find solace in a situation like this. I know your son's lifestyle was um, sinful, um, so. Tarek slammed his hand against the half open door and said, Shut your filthy mouth right now, you cold hearted bastard. My son was gay. He was not a murderer or a rapist to suffer the wages of sin dished out by your cruel god? Well, sometimes the truth is uncomfortable, Sakit began saying, but Tariq didn't let him finish. He threw a hard right jab that snapped Sakit's head backwards. Sakit shouted in pain and reeled. A blinding light filled Tariq's vision, and sharp pangs of pain tore into his head forcing him to double over at his waist. He thought he was going to puke his guts out all over the floor. Slowly the pain receded and Tarek was able to stand up straight. Sakith was still standing opposite to him, his back pressed against a wall. He was holding on to his left cheekbone and threatening to call the police on Tarek. When he regained his composure, Tarek said, Fuck off you fucking monster, and slammed the door in Saket's face. Once again, there was semi-darkness in the apartment. Only his angry panting broke the silence of his empty nest. The discomfort returned with greater fury now. A bout of vertigo caused by the alcohol in his system assailed him, and he felt unsteady on his legs. He threw the sheaf of letters on the coffee table and slumped down onto the couch. He fell into the arms of a restless sleep, into a nightmare. Tarek was on the banks of a still lake set underneath a night sky filled with pitch-black stars. The surface of the water body was like a dispassionate sheet of glass. In the distance, a cluster of spires minarets and towers formed an ominous city on a hill. A luminescence, akin to a corrupt aurora borealis, shimmered over its towering structures. He had not seen a city like that before, not in his travels to England, Greece, France or Egypt. He could make out a yellow tinge to the paintwork on the buildings. Tarek walked on the sand and the pebbles of that desolate shoreline, eager to reach the city. He couldn't feel the wind against his face. He did not meet anyone on the way. His feet made no sound as it dug into the soil. An old stillness dwelled everywhere, as if time had stopped to indulge in this madness. No, time had not stopped of its own volition. Someone had imprisoned it in this domain. Time was in the thrall of some maleficent being yet unknown to him. Suddenly, a thrumming resounded from the depths of the lake, which grew louder with each passing second before reaching an ear-piercing crescendo. Then it too died down. Tarek halted. He could now hear a faint call from the ramparts of the city on the hill. Even though it was a faint human cry, he recognized the voice instantly. He would know that voice anywhere. Papa, Papa, Bipul called out to him. Tarek opened his mouth to utter words of assurance. Bipul, I am coming to you, Beta, he wanted to say, but he had lost his ability to speak. The vision of the city wavered; the lights that limned its odd architecture dimmed. Then it dissolved into darkness, into nothingness. No, 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 no! Tarek chanted in his head. He fell to his knees and wailed silently. Suddenly, he became aware of a spectacle in the middle of the lake. He saw a tiny boat occupied by two individuals. He was certain the lake was empty just moments ago. The glow of a lamp resting on one of the thwarts of the boat revealed a princess dressed in an opulent gown and a larger figure in yellow tattered robes seated opposite to her. The sinister figure's hood was pulled over his head and his face was obscured by shadows even though the light from the lamp should have highlighted his features. Their voices carried over the lake and Tarek could hear the conversation between them as if he was seated right beside them. That was not part of our original agreement, the man in the yellow robe said. Well, if that's the case, as the princes of this mighty kingdom... I demand you reveal your face. Take off that mask, the princess said, slamming a fist on her thigh. The hooded figure said nothing for a few moments before shaking his head as if he was disappointed in her. He leaned forward and whispered something in the princess's ear. The princess reeled back in shock and cried out, No mask. It's not a mask? The man in yellow turned abruptly and stared straight at Tarek, who was watching the spectacle in shock. The finer details of the pallid mask was less clear in the distance, but no less terrifying, as it poured into Tarek's soul like a cursed worm. <whistles> the princess's screams rang through the shoreline. Marek woke up with a shout and fell off the couch onto a bottle of whiskey. He winced in pain as its curved bottom smashed into his ribcage. He took in a few deep breaths to will away the pain and to clear his head. He slowly sat up with his back against the couch. His eyes fell on a shape in one of the shadowy corners of the living room. He tried to focus on the silhouette, even as it grew larger, inviting whatever little light was present in the apartment onto its terrifying form. The yellow robes, the pallid mask, the man from the dreams. What's wrong with me? Tarek said, slapping his face vigorously. The terrifying hallucination was gone. Or at least he thought it was a hallucination. I need to fucking stop drinking so much. Tarek said. A postcard on top of the pile of letters caught his eye. The handwriting on it seemed familiar. Vipul! Tarek shouted suddenly, scrambling over to the coffee table to grab the correspondence. It was posted from Rajasthan two weeks ago and it featured an illustration of an old fort on one side and a hastily scrawled message on the other. Papa, I am at the Bhangat Fort. You must come for me. I will explain when you get here. Come soon. Come alone. It was Vipul's handwriting right. Bhangat Fort? In Rajasthan? Tarek muttered, was this a hoax? Had his son been kidnapped? And could this be the first step in securing his release? Was he having a mental breakdown? So many questions for which tarek needed answers. But he already knew the answer to the most important question. Was he going to accept his son's request? Yes, he was. There was nothing in the world that he wouldn't give up to have his dear son back in his arms again. His baby boy, who sang nursery rhymes to him late into summer nights, who watched Tom and Jerry with him and laughed raucously on lazy Sunday mornings. His champion swimmer, who brought back scores of medals from sporting events held at school. His entertaining K-pop dancer, who saved him from slipping into depression and despair so many times in the last decade. The postcard looked genuine, and Tariq was prepared to go to the very depths of hell for his son. Set at the base of an evergreen hill, the township of Dausa was a cluster of cream-coloured single-storied buildings that dotted the sides of its poorly maintained roads. The constant assault of dust storms and the harsh sun had baked and cracked the surfaces of the alleyways, homes and shop fronts. Tarek Shah had arrived by bus and was heading to a pre-designated sport to meet the guide who was to help him get to Bhagat Fort. On the way to his destination, Tarek walked past the Dowser police station and was tempted for a final time to walk in and report the receipt of the postcard. But he suppressed his urge to do so by remembering what an awful job they had done in investigating Whipple's disappearance. The endless red tape, the rude phone calls, the reluctance to get off their backsides to look at new leads. Tarik was done with the police. He was convinced that his son was waiting for him at the fort. That very special soul connection which only existed between a parent and a child told him so. For once, he was going to trust his gut instinct. Tarek followed the alleyways deeper and deeper into the labyrinth of Dawse's residential precincts. At the beginning of his journey, he saw turban-clad men in white shirts and dhotis and women in colourful sarees or the occasional foreign tourists wandering the same paths. But the further he got, the buildings and the paths looked increasingly desolate. There was another oddity that caught his attention as he continued his journey. A symbol on the walls drawn with white chalk or graphite. A drawing of an open hand with an eye resting at the centre of it, which appeared with increasing frequency as he journeyed on. reached a junction of several paved pathways and looked around to orient himself. He came to the conclusion that he was lost. He consulted his map. Tarek was meant to meet Raju the guide in front of the Bhawar grocery store. Tarek was convinced he was heading in the right direction. But according to the map, he was far north of where he should have been. How is this possible? Tharag thought. He looked around at the sprawl of dirt-caked buildings and the jumble of power cables on the electricity posts around him. It felt like the desert town charm of Dausa had been replaced by an ominous barrenness. He felt like the stone and the mud structures were closing in on him, corralling him into a vicious trap. He looked at the five different paths that radiated out of the junction. Which one should I take? He muttered. He fumbled with the map briefly before opening it up and studying his options. Then he heard music and the droning of human voices from inside one of the buildings. It had a blue facade and it looked like a community hall. Above the wooden French doors, which offered the only means of entry, was the sign. The hand with the all-seeing eye resting in its centre. Seeing that he was lost, Tarik decided to seek the assistance from the occupants of the hall. He quickly glanced at the ominous symbol staring down at him before opening the doors.